one of the really special things as it was announced this morning that we do here and it's and and it is really special to me is to be able to baptize our our kids uh we don't we don't do infant baptisms uh we dedicate those kids to the lord and uh but when when they begin to be able to grasp what the gospel is about and make their choice to follow Jesus Christ, then we baptize them. And so the the shorter ones this morning um, are almost like our family, you know, their, their parents grew up in this church and it, and so, uh, and actually the whole bunch are connected to this church way back uh, so that was that's really special to me. In your service bulletin is a card that has a dark mark on on one end that says prayer request. On Wednesday nights, we take prayer requests that are handed to us in this way, and we we individually pray over them. And so, if you have a need that you would like to get into that process, fill this out. And uh, sometimes there's a receptacle by the back doors. If there are not receptacles there today, put it over against the wall in the corner. <laughs> we'll pick it up. And then on Wednesday nights, we will pray for these. And we want you to have that opportunity to uh, get help in these things that you're standing for. The... Good news of Jesus Christ is amazing, and in in the sight of our our world, our very own culture, there are many people that cannot believe anything is that good, and since they can't believe it, they have just decided to make people who do believe that guilty of all of the ills in our country, or most of them. Did you follow that? Do you feel paranoid? You didn't follow it if you, no, no. Uh, the, The gospel of Jesus Christ is unlike any other message of, of a world religion Every world religion except Christianity is dependent upon what the uh, celebrants of that religion do. It's what you do. Now, there are some of them that are pretty sophisticated about that, so it's all kind of a, a mind trip. But you better get on that trip or you ain't nothing. And, and then the, the less subtle of these world religions, just make it very clear uh, when, you get, when you get to heaven before they let you in, they just take all your works good and all your works bad, put them in a balance, and you go the way the balance goes. Jesus said... If you are overworked and overloaded, come to me. 
I'll give you rest. Instead of going out and getting after it. Come and sit down. We have many pictures of of that in the in the New Testament. Two sisters, one who was a consummate hostess, doubtless a good cook, and her sister was neither that we know of. And you know who Jesus commended. Now, if you're familiar with Scripture, Mary and Martha are are old cliche terms, and they're talking about working hard, and it's not bad stuff. Good grief, Martha was cooking. (laughs) Let's don't give that a bad name, okay? And Mary was hanging at the feet of Jesus. The rabbis of of that day, the, the, the teachers, sat when they taught. And you, you would try to, if, if you couldn't sit, you stood out here. But if you could sit, you tried to get as close just for a lot of reasons. And so Mary has done this that Jesus offered. Come to me, all of you. Uh, the King James said, come to me, all you all ye who labor and are heavy laden. I don't quote the King James much anymore, but that's something like that. Remember that? Some of you are old enough. Come if you're overworked and you're overburdened. If your job is breaking you down or, or, the, or the backpack that you have to carry is way out of line, too heavy, Come. He says, come on, and you'll, and you'll get some strength so you can do all this. No, he says, sit down, rest. As a matter of fact, you leave your job with him, and you leave your load with him, and you trade it in on a job that you can do. It may be hard, but it does not break you down. And the load that comes from him is manageable. If you're in, in excellent shape, your, your health is good, you could, you could carry a 40-pound backpack all day, every day, as long as you could put it down at night and get some rest, you'd be fine. Now, some would not be able to get out of their chair with that kind of load. So, you know, it's according to the vitality, uh, the emotional vitality or spiritual vitality, whatever is, is the test here. But in Christ Jesus, he says, I'll make it manageable. I'll make it manageable. It's not that you get to be this lazy slob, sleep till noon and, and take a nap. You know, that, that's not what... That's, there are works for us to do. There's a job for us to do. We were saved not by good works, but to do good works, to do good works. So there's doing, but it's so manageable physically or emotionally, whatever the load is. So if you're not, if you're not in, 
in sync with all of this in the Lord. Before we leave this morning, I'm going I'm to offer a prayer for you and ask the Lord to just help you come unto him, to use that King James, come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Our destiny really is that, and I want to talk to you about spirituality in the New Testament. We, we, I made a brief comparison with all the world religions, and then there's Christianity. Christianity expects you to live right. Jesus gives you the grace, not so that you can sin, but so that you don't have to sin. That's what grace is about. My grace is all you need in that, in that usage. A quote from the Apostle Paul when he was dealing with something that we really don't know. Well, some of us know what the thorn in the flesh was, but uh, we have to argue about it if you disagree because we don't have a verse that says this is the thorn in the flesh. But Paul had something that was allowed to come to keep him from getting puffed up with sinful pride. Now, you don't have to worry much about a thorn in the flesh unless you have been to heaven and hung out with the Lord and have secrets from the gospel of Jesus Christ that none of the rest of us have. If that's you, you may get a thorn in the flesh. Well, what's this I'm dealing with? Well, that's another sermon. But anyway, uh, we have the works to do. Now, there is an, there is an interesting thing, and I, I have this sense, since I'm not going to be here preaching forever and ever, I have this sense that you guys that have uh, been born since 1980, some of you have been born since 1990, but from 1980 and, uh, and since then, you have a reputation, where, and it, it's really statistically that uh, you're spiritual, you like spiritual stuff, but that doesn't mean it's biblical. That doesn't mean uh, it has any sense of the Judeo-Christian ethic. Is that a term that I should define? A Judeo-Christian ethic means you just kind of do right the way our, our parents expected us to do right. And in those days, if we didn't do right, well, we actually usually did right. We might get our what's-it beat first. That was kind of the option I offered to my kids when it would just come down to something that, that I felt like they just had to do. And I said, well, you have two choices. You can do this, or you can get a spanking and do this. And so about the third time I said, well, you have two choices. I know, Dad, I know, I know, they would say. But that, that doing correctly, that's like being honest, being, uh, if you're married, being faithful to your spouse, 
It means taking good care of your responsibilities. That's sort of the Judeo-Christian ethic roughly, roughly described. And if you guys hold to that, you're going to get persecuted. Uh, we, we, we have now the uh, GLBT movement. And if if you're not for that, in much of our culture's eyes, you are the freakiest, craziest, most hate-filled, homophobic person alive. Have you ever run into that? I mean, they will, they will call you everything but a good person. And it is tolerance about everything except what I don't like. And that's the tolerance of our culture. And so on that issue and on uh, other things that are similar, the Scripture is quite clear about sin. And the sin is in the practice. You can sin in your mind, but it's hard. You can do that. Jesus taught us that in the Sermon on the Mount. But he really didn't want to teach us how to sin. He wanted to bring that grace thing that comes upon us and gives us the ability to not sin. Not sin. So whatever the pressure on you that does not fit with what Jesus taught, just say, Lord, I I hear what you say, and I watch my heart, and they're not exactly the same. Would you please come help? Now, the illustration that this, if you're new here, this bunch that's here all the time, very familiar with this story. But for your sake, if you're new, I'm going to tell it again. I use the Lord's Prayer as the model for my morning prayer, my devotional life. So I go down to point number five, which is forgive me of my sins while I forgive those who have sinned against me. So I, I do that searching around, and it's not hard usually to find something that I say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I hate that. I, I turn from that. I want your help. I, I ask your forgiveness, and I want that fixed. And then I say, I start looking for someone that didn't do what I wanted them to do or did what I didn't want them to do or whatever. And I love this because we all deal with this all the time. You can't get in a position where everyone will do what you want them to do or stop doing what you want them to stop. They ain't no such place. So if there's, a, if there's a face that comes up when I start talking to the Lord about this, people treat me so well, and usually I say, in the name of Jesus, I forgive, and I name that name, and, and it, that settles that. It's just like I acknowledge that they probably owe me a little something, 
and I cancel the debt in Jesus' name. That's what that means. It's paid. But sometimes I was really, really ticked or hurt. You know what people do to us. They hurt us. Especially Christians hurt us. Pardon my sarcasm. It just slips out on me. And I try to be good, but that, we are so pitiful. Well, the story goes on. So this, this where I was really hurt or whatever happened comes up and I say, in the name of Jesus, I forgive. And I name that thing. And then, of course, nothing is going on in my heart of release or it's getting fixed. And so then I say, now, Lord, you know, that's not the truth. But I want it to be the truth. I am willing for you to work your grace in me. And that's where grace comes in. My grace is all you need. And folks, if you carry that equation to the logical end, there is not anything that anyone in this world can do to you that the grace of God will not come in and give you the ability to indeed forgive them. That is so powerful. What in the world? Uh, wow, that's an incredible wealth. What a, what a treasure trove of riches. What a treasure chest loaded with, with unthinkably valuable items of jewelry and so forth. Now, Lord, you know that's not true. But I want it to be true. Use that. Use that all day, every day, in every situation, because that works. That will change your life. You say, you don't know what they did to me. And the smart aleck side of me says, no, and I don't give a rip. But that's not true because I do give a rip. I hate it that you get hurt. It's not fun. I tried that once, and it wasn't any fun to get hurt. But if you want the glory of God to come in and change your heart, it's called grace, and it works. And he will take that that has just messed with you And release you from it. Go back to Jesus. Come unto me, all you that labor, heavy laden. You see, his load is light. You have to, what do you have to carry? Well, you have to be willing to forgive. And, it, and, you know, some of us want to eventually forgive, but we want to hate for a while. Because we, we wouldn't be able to get up a really good cry telling our friends about how we were ill-treated if we went ahead and forgave. I love that. <clears throat> That's the per- correct response. Because we're all guilty. We need to shorten and shorten and shorten that time that we allow ourselves any wiggle room. So that when something goes wrong in our life, whether it's something we're afraid of, 
whatever it is, that immediately we begin to move into the position of grace. Jesus' primary mission is this. Spirituality is going to come like this. John 1.12, talking about Jesus, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So these are the people that have been born into the Holy Spirit, made alive, sins forgiven, and we have the right to become the child of God. And let me just, oh, I love this so much. You know where I'm going next, some of you anyway. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, conform to the image of his son. Hang on to that. So that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn of a whole bunch. This last week, Facebook declared sibling day. And that was kind of cool. I mean, I enjoyed seeing my friends uh, in these old pictures with their, with their siblings. But every day is sibling day. If God is doing his work in us so that we, he might be the firstborn among many siblings and notice what happens. These are predestined. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have a choice. But in the foreknowledge of God, he predestines those who choose him. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. He's got that in the past tense. Are you getting this? Everything we need, everything we need is provided. Glorification is probably good enough. Probably good enough. So hallelujah for that. We have the right to become. And then Paul in Colossians 1 says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints is what he's talking about. That's an incomplete sentence, if in case that felt incomplete to you. Good, because it is. But now we get a real full, complete sentence to them, the saints. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Now, Christ in you is not the same as Christ walking along and holding your hand. I remember when I was a kid, we had a chorus uh, that had motions to it. And we said, God is good to me. God is good to me. He holds my hand. He helps me stand. God is good to me. Okay? Now, I, if, if you're into holding hands with God, that's okay, except he's not that far away. Did you get it? 
Christ in you. Now, sometimes these terms sound a little bit new agey. And if you know me, you know that uh, I'm not smart enough to grasp the new age. You don't have to worry about the new age with me. But those people believe that God is in everything inherent in the creation. One of their terms is uh, God without center, whose circumference is everywhere. I was listening to a tape of one of them teach one time, and, and he said, there is as much God in my little finger as there is anywhere in the universe. Well, God's circumference is everywhere, but he, he has a center, a main center, and he has one jillion centers in us. So if God, whose circumference is everywhere... He's everywhere present is another way to say that. That God has a center in you, and you don't know it, perhaps. Maybe you're saying, God, come help me. That sounds like something that we might pray. What if we said, in the name of Jesus, I say that God who lives in me is at work in this crummy circumstance, and I'm excited to see how he is going to work it out. He may flow out through me. He may do it through some other way. He may do it invisibly some way that we never do figure out in this life how he did it, but he does it, and he is not separate. It's like, oh, God seems so far away. And I understand that feeling. It stinks, doesn't it? By the way, you, you learn these theological terms like stink when you go to Bible school. And those are the things we can tell you about that we learned about. No. Uh, young preachers are as mean as young other people many times. And so we, we learned these terms. But here's the deal. Jesus lives in you. It is Christ in you, the hope of all the glorious things to come. Now, that Christ in you has two applications. It is the singular you, Christ in you. Pick, pick a name, Dakota. Christ in you. And then that can be plural, Christ in you. So that when we get together, there he is in the midst of us in a way that is somehow different than when we're by ourselves. So when Dakota gets with his buddies, Jesus is there in a way. Stop giggling, girls. No, they, they, were, they were being respectful, gentlemen. They really were. Jesus is in that group in a way that is other than when Dakota's by himself. I'm going to have to do something nice to this guy. Uh, maybe I'll just have to outrun him. I don't know. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a good trick, too. But uh, the, the picture is that God loves us and chose to make a home here. You say, well, I know a bunch of Christians. They don't act anything like God. Well, I do too. 
and I know you, and you know me. And I watch me more than I watch you, but I watch you too. And there are times when I don't act, I don't act a lot like I think Jesus would want me to act or would be acting if he were running the show or however should say it. But that doesn't mean it's not true. And I want, I want to get one point across to you other than along with this Christ in us. Christ in us. That's the main point. Uh, but this other point is we give ourselves as humans the right to be wrong if someone else is wrong toward us. I challenged someone one time that I happened to know of a problem. I said, why don't you speak to so-and-so? Just wouldn't speak to them. And they said, she didn't speak to me. Oh, okay, that makes it fine. That's cool. Good. Good. Did you get that? How stupid. I know you don't say stupid at your house, but we do at ours. That is, and, and what other whatever word would you like me to use? Because nothing is really adequate except stupid. Well, I can be as wrong as I want to be as long as somebody else is that wrong toward me. Tell that to Jesus. I was going through our trial one time. Yes, bless my poor little pitiful heart. And, you know, when stuff is coming against you, you don't have to sit down and think up ways to be vindictive. It volunteers. And the Lord helped me in that particular time in my life by saying, yes, I am so persecuted I'll bet Jesus is saying, I've never seen anything like that in my life. That's awful, Bill. Don't give yourself room to be a jerk. Don't. Open your heart to the glory of God so that the touch can be gentle If someone has been doing you wrong, the picture is clear. Jesus is being nailed to a piece of wood, a cross, a real nail through his real hand, hit with a real hammer until the nail was fastened into the wood. That's not what we do for fun and and to have a good time. That's just not one of those things. And you know what his response was? Gentle touch. Father, forgive them. They're clueless. Just forgive them. Is that too strong? Anything less is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God's grace comes and makes everything that comes against us, manageable. 
to where we can be full of the joy of the Lord in face of that stuff. I, I, it, it, is, it is so exciting to me to think if Christ is in us, the hope of glory, if Christ is really in us, what can the world do? Well, the world can make you feel silly. Uh, peer pressure. And uh, everybody has peer pressure. Uh, we, we give adolescents a little more credit for having a struggle with that. But everyone, you know, there are people that you would like for them to like you and they don't. So what are we going to do? <laughs> slap them silly. And if they don't get the message, I'm going to pull my little nine millimeter out and slap them again, and maybe they'll get that message. Do you see our flesh? Is our flesh real? Are we real? Yes, we are real people. And Jesus comes to make us real children of God. And you say, I, I, that's too hard, can't do it. And I want to say to you, you are dead right. You, at least the second part of that, you can't do it. I'm, a, I'm legalistic by nature, perfectionistic by personality, um, concrete thinker, firstborn, you know, didn't have a chance to be balanced. <laughs> didn't have a chance. Now, in the face of all of that, what does God do? Oh, my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do with Nubia. He, he, I'm, I'm not sure I can fix him. Do you? Do you think I impressed the Holy Spirit? I am such a loser that the Holy Spirit just can't help me. Do you hear what we do? We make excuses for ourselves or for someone else. Well, you don't know what happened to them. And, and, and I want to say it. I don't care, but I do care. I really do. I've been helped. The Holy Spirit has helped me. I care. But what does that have to do with how we respond to life? I want to say that again. I want to put it in the first person. You don't know what she said to me. You can't imagine how she put me down. You wouldn't believe what happened to me. And you probably would believe because it happens to all of us. But if it happens to me, it's worse than when it happens to you. Keep that in mind, too. Now, church, I want us to be so block-headed toward the things of God as far as, say, if it says it in the Bible then I want God to come and make it happen. 
I am a grudge carrier. I was reading a behavioral science paper one time, and, and this guy was describing this person who, and and I hadn't heard the, uh, I hadn't heard the term before, grievance collector. Do something to me. I'll never forget it. And I'll get you. It's just a matter of time. I want to make it a little worse. Now, some of you have other problems that are as serious as that, but that problem is not as bad in you. But that's my testimony. And you know what that's good for? That's good to demonstrate the grace of God so that if somebody actually does some kind of grievance toward me, that I can say, whoa, Lord, this is not imagined. I'm not being paranoid. I was really offended. I'm really being persecuted. And I choose in Jesus' name to forgive. And then I'll say, now you know that's not true. But then we, I stay there until he makes it true. Is the Holy Spirit able to take your hard heart and make it soft, joyous, loving, forgiving? Is the Holy Spirit able to do that? He created the universe. Can he do you? Good. There's a few of you that believe it. There's hope for you because we do live by faith. And the picture is is in the life of Jesus and his disciples. And he feeds the multitude, goes up on the mountain to pray, and they leave on the boat. Now, the Sea of Galilee is below sea level. And it's surrounded by all these mountains that are pretty tall. And they can get this storm that comes down through there, and it, it will wreck a boat, the little boats like they were in. This boat was probably not a good 20, 25 feet long. And so it was not a big deal. And Jesus comes walking on water, and Peter says, when he finally decided not to have a heart attack from fear, if it is you, tell me to come. He says, come on. So Peter walks on water. Now, this is, this is incredibly wonderful. Can you see this? Did his feet go down this far in the water? Because the, the, the surface was undulating. I mean, I don't know. I'm just. He walked on water. He wasn't treading water. He was walking on it. And I love that. That's what we do sometimes. <laughs> and you know what happened to him? All of this storm, it says it very clearly. When he began to look at the wind and the waves. Now, you can't look at the wind and the waves and look at Jesus. So you take your eyes off Jesus and you'll start to sink. Now, I could take a vote this morning and say, how many of you are about half sunk? I'm not going to, don't raise your hand. 
if I could do that, and some of you would raise your hand, and if you didn't, you could honestly do so. I'm, I'm not on the surface of this thing. My eyes are not on Jesus, and I'm sinking, and I need help. It is to you that all of this wonderful, encouraging, soft-touch, gentle word has come this morning. To you, the Lord says, look at me, look at me, and when you do, somehow the storm seems less. Somehow the waves seem not so intense, and I long for that for you. Now, I may not be your primary teacher for very long, but that doesn't have anything to do with anything in this sense, that this is the way God is, and His kingdom and this mystery that was revealed after all of those ages is Christ in you. And if you're walking on water looking at Jesus... Actually, he's closer than that now. He is closer than that now. And I wish for you this business of when something, when your wife just won't do what you want her to do. God bless you. That is so pitiful. I know that hurts. That's a terrible thing. When she just won't do it. What are you going to do? Look at Jesus. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, has, has this thing that it says, um, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that cloud of witnesses has to include the uh, people that were listed in the 11th chapter of Hebrews previous chapter. So we got all these people of faith, and they know about faith, and they know how to deal with problems. You go to the Lord, keep your eyes on the Lord. And those people, you can look at them, but those verses go on to say, looking unto Jesus, the author, that means the beginner, and uh, Finisher is a is a good enough translation that the the word in the original language there means completed growth. Uh, it sometimes is is translated perfection, but it when it is that perfection doesn't mean like sinlessly perfect. It means full grown, fully developed, the whole deal. And of course, the illustration is between a, a beautiful rosebud and a beautiful open rose blossom. And Jesus starts the bud and opens the full blossom. And so it is your choice. Take him and enjoy life. When trouble comes, it will come. It is the will of God that certain troubles come. 
The all things work together for good. It's not that God causes these, but he scoots you around so that you're in a position to go right through that thing. In the first place, he'll scoot you around so it won't hurt you and take you out. He will not take you out. He will, it will be enough to strengthen your muscle. Those of you who are bodybuilders have some secrets and you know that there is a way to work your body that is not healthy and it doesn't work well. Doesn't make you look good. Doesn't make you stronger. Actually destroys muscle tissue. And then there are ways that make you look like you look and God bless you. A lot of work, a lot of trouble and I respect that. God knows about that. And he loves you. He lives in you. Enjoy him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring to you this body. And in our own hearts, in our own lives, where we have.